All right, we are in Colossians 4, and unlike the last two weeks where we've done a verse each week, we are going to cover um, 11 verses from verse 7 down to verse 18. This is the concluding remarks in Colossians. Um, I have a friend who talks about these passages of Scripture as passages that he power reads through because we're reading about people that we don't know about. And there's a tendency to do that because we're gonna be reading a list of names. And yet they're included in the scripture and they're included in the scripture for a reason. And it's worth our time to take this morning and look at these men um, and one woman who have been influential in Paul's life. And so basically it's, we're gonna go through and look at each one of these that Paul mentions and try and understand why it is that that person was important to the Apostle Paul. Um, I don't know about you, but I, I just have this picture of Paul, and I know it's not true, but it's just the way that I think of Paul as being kind of a lone ranger. That he just goes out and, and does his thing, and there was a point where he's fighting, not fighting, but there's disagreement between him and the other apostles, and he just takes off. And, and I think of him as kind of being a loner. And yet nothing could be further from the truth. Uh, Paul has this circle of people around him constantly. People who are pouring into him. He needs a lot of encouragement. I mean, we forget that he's sitting in prison for a long period of time. And he's not immune to despair. He's not immune to uh, depression. He's not immune to the things that we would face if we were in that situation. Well, what kept Paul strong? Well, part of it was that he had a group of friends who were constantly there for him, men that God had placed into his life, some of whom gave up a lot to spend time with Paul in prison. They weren't necessarily in prison, but he was either under house arrest or he was in a place where they could come and visit him. And and he was constantly surrounding himself with those people. And so those are the people who are mentioned in Colossians chapter four. So we're gonna run through uh, the different people and as much as we can, we'll just talk about a little bit of their characteristics, why they were in Paul's life and why we should be looking for people like that in our life and why we should be that type of person to other people around us. Um, So let's start at verse seven of chapter four. It says, uh, Tychius will tell you all about my activities. He is a beloved brother and faithful minister and fellow servant in the Lord. I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. And with him, Onesimus, our faithful and beloved brother, who is one of you, they will tell you of everything that has taken place here. Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, greets you, and Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, concerning whom you received instructions. If he comes to you, welcome him, and Jesus, who is called Justice. These are the only men of the circumcision among my fellow workers for the kingdom of God, and they have been a comfort to me. Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ Jesus, greets you, always struggling on your behalf, in his prayers that you may stand mature and fully assured in all the will of God. For I bear him witness that he has worked hard for you 
and for those in Laodicea and in Hierapolis. Luke, the beloved physician, greets you, as does Demas. Give my greetings to the brothers at Laodicea and to Nympha and the church in her house. And when this letter has been read among you, have it also read in the church of the Laodiceans, and see that you also read the letter from Laodicea. And say to Archippus, see that you fulfill the ministry that you have received in the Lord. I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hands. Remember my chains. Grace be with you. Um, we begin with a man by the name of Tychius. And Tychius seems to be a pretty important person to Paul. It says, Tychius will tell you all about my activities. So Tychius is charged with telling them about what Paul is doing. And he is also charged at the end of that passage with encouraging them. Um, and he is described as a beloved brother, a faithful minister, and a fellow servant in the Lord. Um, and then he says, I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are, and that he may encourage your hearts. So uh, Tychius is beloved, a faithful minister, a fellow servant, and apparently one who's able to encourage. Um, we believe that Tychius is the one who is carrying the letter of Colossians. Um, he is the messenger. And we think that because he has Onesimus with him. And we'll get to Onesimus in a minute. But you guys all remember the story of Onesimus? Uh, Philemon is the book. Philemon is the book that is written about Onesimus. Onesimus is the runaway slave who is being sent back to Colossae after having been converted. And he's coming with Tychius, so he's standing there with Tychius, and Tychius and Onesimus are to encourage them, tell them what Paul has been doing, and tell uh, them, um, uh, encourage them uh, in where they are. So Tychius is uh, a trusted servant of Paul. He's kind of like a right-hand man. Let me just give you a little bit of where we see him. Um, you first meet Tychius in Acts chapter 20. Um, and in Acts chapter 20, Paul is organizing a relief effort for Jerusalem. Jerusalem, the church had been impoverished. They needed um, funds. And so Paul had gone around to all the Gentile churches and had raised funds. He had gone to the um, church in Macedonia and raised money. And he had done that in a number of other churches. And then he was going to send it back to Jerusalem. In fact, he wanted to go back to Jerusalem. But what's interesting is that he put together a group of men to go with him. And one of them is Tychius. In fact, it's a group of Jews and Gentiles. And there's some belief among church historians that, that because of the rift between the Gentiles and the Jews, that Paul raising money by, from the Gentiles to send back to the Jews was one way to help heal that rift. And so he was sending it back with Jews and Gentiles together. So you have, starting in verse 4, it says, um, go back to verse 3, there he spent three months, and when a plot was made against him by the Jews, as he was about to sail for Syria, he decided to return through Macedonia. So Peter the Berean, son of Pyrrhus, accompanied him and of the Thessalonians, Aristarchus and Secondus, and Gaius of Derby and Timothy and the Asians, Tychius and 
Trophimus. Uh, these went ahead on ahead and were waiting for us at Troas, but we sailed away from Philippi after the days of unleavened bread. And in five days, we came to them at Troas, where we stayed for seven days. So he was there at that point. Um, but what's really interesting about Tychius to me is that he seems to be the one when Paul needed someone to be an interim pastor, Tychius is the one that he sends. So Tychius, whether he was well-trained or if just he spent time with the Apostle Paul, becomes a kind of an uh, itinerant pastor. Um, I'll show you this. Go back to Titus chapter 3. Um, Titus chapter 3 and verse 12. He says, um, writing to Titus, and for those of you who most of you do know, Titus is a pastor. It's a pastoral epistle. And he writes to Titus, and then he says this in verse 12 of chapter 3, When I send Artemis or Tychius to you, do your best to come to me at Nicopolis, for I have decided to spend the winter there. So Paul is going to go to um, a particular place, spend the winter there, And he says to Titus, come visit me. But Titus is the pastor. So what does he do? He sends the interim. Now, we don't know if it was Tychius. It was either Artemis or Tychius. But he was one of the ones who would have been chosen by Paul to go and take over that church so that Titus could come spend time with the Apostle Paul. Um, And then if you jump backwards just a couple pages to 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 12. this is the same thing. Timothy is a pastor. It says, Tych, um, Tychius, I have, well, actually, if you go back to verse 9, do your best to come to me soon. If you dump down to verse 12, Tychius, I have sent to Ephesus. When you come, bring the cloak that I left with Carpus at Troas, also the books and above all the parchments. So once again, he sent Tychius to Timothy saying, when he comes, you come and visit me. So this is a trusted man uh, that Paul is using as uh, relief for the pastor so he can spend time with the pastors. By the way, it's believed that Tychius was carrying three books of the Bible through very dangerous territory. Um, remember, travel isn't like what it was for us. In fact, the, the route from uh, over to um, Colossae and Laodicea was actually a fairly dangerous route. And so Tychius was entrusted with three books of the Bible, uh, Philemon, Colossians, and we believe the book of Ephesians. Um, And the book of Ephesians may be the book that's referenced at the end of Colossians, where it says, um, read the letter uh, from Laodicea. Um, Ephesians, Um, I learned this this week. I knew this. There are a number of books that are circulars that went to a bunch of churches. Um, There's no mention of any person in Ephesus. It does begin Paul to the saints at Ephesus. But apparently what they would do is they would write Paul to the saints at and he would leave a blank. And then the church would put their name on it. And then they would copy it and send it to some other church. And the, the one that we have has the name Ephesus written in there, the, uh, the manuscript that we have. And so it's been called the, church, the letter to Ephesus or the Ephesians. 
Um, but it is so close to the Colossians letter. When you read them, you notice I've gone back to it. Paul probably wrote those at the same time, spent, sent a specific one to Colossae, which was having the heresy, and a general one to the churches in that area. So, so Tychius was a trustworthy man. Um, so that, that is Tychius. We go on next to Onesimus. And most of you were here when we went through the book of Philemon. Onesimus is a runaway slave. His master is Philemon. Philemon is uh, the one who has the church in his home at Colossae. So it's a house church, and he's the one who has the church there. Onesimus runs away, runs to Rome, and somehow, um, or runs to where Paul is in prison, and, and becomes saved. He meets Paul. Paul is the one who leads him to Christ. And then Paul uh, develops a strong love relationship for Onesimus. Um, if you jump over to Philemon, uh, you'll see this. This is a special man to Paul, uh, Onesimus. In fact, he wants Onesimus back. This is one that he's sending back because he feels like he has to. But this is a man that Paul wants with him. So if you go to Philemon, he says um, in verse 8, Accordingly, though I am bold enough in Christ to command you to do what is required, yet for love's sake, I prefer to appeal to you. I, Paul, an old man and now a prisoner also for Christ, I appeal to you for my child, Onesimus, whose father I became in my imprisonment. Formerly he was useless to you, but now he is indeed useful to you and to me. I am sending him back to you, sending my very heart. I would have been glad to keep him with me in order that he might serve me on your behalf during my imprisonment for the gospel. But I preferred to do nothing without your consent in order that your goodness might not be com com by compulsion, but out of your own accord. So he's actually saying, I want him back, but he doesn't belong to me. He belongs to you, but I'm going to send him to you trusting that you do the right thing. What do you think? Did Philemon do the right thing? As far as we know, he did, because it's believed that Onesimus spent a lot of time with the Apostle Paul. Um, and in fact, a beautiful ending to that story, uh, one of the early church fathers, Origen, who was just right after the apostolic period, he would have known some of the apostles. Uh, in a letter that he wrote to Colossae, he wrote this, he said, since then in the name of God, I received your entire congregation in the presence of Onesimus a man of inexpressible love and your pastor. I beseech you in Christ to love him and all who are like him. So it's very possible that Onesimus becomes the next pastor of the church of Colossae. And that is a wonderful story of redemption, that this runaway slave who runs away from his master, becomes a believer, spends time with the apostle Paul, is given over for training, eventually becomes the pastor of the church in Colossae. And so that's a wonderful thing. And Paul, of course, had spent time with him, but Onesimus was useful for him. Notice how Onesimus is introduced. He's not introduced as Onesimus, the runaway slave. How's he introduced? Faithful and beloved brother. 
remember, this is the first time they've seen Onesimus since he ran away. So there walks in Tychius with Onesimus and walk in together. And everybody, I'm sure, their mouth is hanging open. And Philemon is like, what in the world? And immediately uh, Tychius hands Philemon a special letter from him for him from the Apostle Paul, short enough to be read in a couple of minutes. And then there's the letter from Colossae, and I'm sure the church gathered and they read it. And here is Onesimus being introduced as the beloved and faithful brother, and one whom Paul wants back, and that God, Paul redeems. So those are the first two. Those are the ones that Paul sends. The rest of them are ones who are present with him and stay with him, they're not coming back to Colossae, and Paul mentions them. And so the first one in verse 10 is Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner greets you, and Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, concerning whom you have received instructions. If he comes to you, welcome him. And Jesus, who is called Justice, these are the only men of the circumcision among my fellow workers for the kingdom of God, and they have been a comfort to me. So Paul has three Jews with him. When he says the circumcision, I don't think he means the circumcision party. They weren't circumcisers. They weren't the ones who were fighting him doctrinally. They just happened to be fellow Jews. There were three fellow Jews with him. The first one was this man, Aristarchus. Um, Aristarchus is one who followed Paul and went with him on his missionary journeys. Um, he was actually in, go back to Acts chapter nine. He was with Paul in Ephesus when a big riot breaks out. If you remember, they were preaching and they were having some success and some of the Christians were taking and burning the statues of Artemis or breaking them down, uh, or Diana, we might say, and that was the center of that worship. And the silversmiths realized that if people stop coming to worship Artemis, our trade is going to be lost. And so they start a big riot. And the riot goes out of, uh, kind of out of control, which riots do. And starting in verse uh, 28, it says, when they heard this, they were outraged or enraged and were crying out, great is Artemis of the Ephesians. So the city was filled with confusion. And they rushed together into the theater, dragging with them Gaius and Aristarchus, Macedonians who were Paul's companions in travel. Um, and then it says, Paul wanted to go into the crowd, but the disciples wouldn't let him. So the people who were arrested at, at um, the riot in Ephesus, it isn't Paul. It's the companions of Paul, and Aristarchus is one of them. Um, and then in verse 20, he's meant, or chapter 20, he's mentioned again as one who is set aside to go and probably deliver money to the Jews. And then if you go over to chapter 27, we see Aristarchus again. Um, he gets to have an exciting adventure with Paul. Of course, I think any time you went with Paul, it was an exciting adventure. Uh, it ended in prison or it ended somewhere where you didn't want to be. Um, and Aristarchus actually is on the ship that uh, gets shipwrecked. So in chapter 27, um, verse 2, it says, embarking uh, in a ship, of Admirithium, which was about to sail for the ports along the coast of Asia, we set put to sea accompanied by Aristarchus, 
a Macedonian from uh, Thessalonica. So it was Luke and Aristarchus and Paul on the ship and they're shipwrecked on Malta and and so he was with him during that time. Um, as far as we know, he was never in prison, never imprisoned, but he spent time with Paul. He never left Paul. Even through all of the trials and Paul being in prison, Aristarchus um, dedicated himself to being with the Apostle Paul. Um, he was a friend that stuck closer than a brother. Um, the next one in Colossians is Mark. And I'm sure some of you know the story of John Mark. I've always loved the story of John Mark because it is the story of second chances. Onesimus is the story of that your past doesn't matter, right? Tychius is the faithful brother. Aristarchus is the one who sticks with Paul. Onesimus, one who should have been written off but wasn't. And Mark is the same way. Um, Mark is one who uh, is with Paul right at the very end of his ministry and was with Paul at the beginning of his ministry, but then something happens. And to trace the story, go back to Acts chapter 13. I know a lot of you know this, but let's just look at those verses in Acts chapter 13, starting in verse 13. We know that Paul and Barnabas were missionaries together. They'd been set apart. And it says uh, in verse 13, Now Paul and his companions set sail from Paphos and came to Perga in Pamphylia. There's a little alliteration there. And John left them. Now when it says John, that's John Mark. John left them and returned to Jerusalem. But they went on from Perga and came to Antioch and Pisidia. So something happens. Mark goes back. Mark is a cousin of Barnabas. It tells us that in Colossians. He's a cousin of Barnabas. And he abandons them. We don't know why. Maybe that it was getting dangerous or maybe he was, uh, who knows what the reason was. But whatever the reason was, it wasn't sufficient for the Apostle Paul to receive him back. Whatever it is, it disqualified in Paul's mind, Mark, from, from being part of his missionary team. So if you go over to chapter 15 and verse 37, Uh, actually started verse 36, it says, And after some days Paul said to Barnabas, Let us return and visit the brothers in every city where we proclaim the word of the Lord and see how they are. So we're going to do the reverse missionary journey. Um, now Barnabas wanted to take with them John called Mark, but Paul thought better, best not to take with them one who had withdrawn from the work in Pamphylia and had not gone with them in the work. And there arose a sharp disagreement and they separated from each other. Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed away to uh, Cyprus. But Paul chose Silas and departed, having been commended by the brothers to the grace of the Lord. And he went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. So. At some point, Barnabas says, you know what? Let's bring Mark back in. Paul says, no way. He abandoned us once. He is not qualified. And so Barnabas, whether because he's the cousin of, of Mark 
or simply because he had a tender heart or maybe could see something that Paul couldn't see, the two groups separate. So now you have two missionary journeys going, okay? What's interesting is how God brings Mark back into Paul's life. And we don't know exactly how that happens, but we do know that along the way, Mark meets up with Peter and becomes a disciple of Peter's. If you go to 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 13. It says, verse 12, By Silvanus, a faithful brother, as regard him, I have written briefly to you, exhorting and declaring that this is the true grace of God. Stand firm in it. She who is at Babylon who is likewise chosen, sends you greetings, and so does Mark, my son. Greet one another with the kiss of love. Mark is with Peter um, when Peter is writing the book of Peter. So he has come under the influence of Peter. And then at the very end of his life, in one of the real touching scriptures, um, after all the time with Barnabas, after all the time with um, John, I mean, with um, Peter in, in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 11, it says, Luke alone is with me. By, by the way, 2 Timothy, in case you don't remember, Paul is just about to be executed. He's at the end. He's run his course. He's, he's about to, to give his life uh, for his Lord. And he is in prison waiting execution. And who does he call for? He says in verse 11, Luke is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you for he is very useful to me for ministry. And then he mentions Tychius. So Mark is redeemed, restored, useful for Paul. By the way, uh, in case you don't know, of course, Mark wrote the book of Mark. Um, but a lot of Bible scholars will say that that's really the gospel of Peter. Because see, Mark isn't with Jesus, right? Mark isn't one of the disciples. So where did he get his information from? Well, who does he spend the last years of his life with? The apostle Peter. And very probably he was commissioned to write the book or had all of the material that Peter left him. Which is interesting because then the book of Mark is the um, is sort of we, we have the three gospels called the synoptic gospels, and Mark is the pattern for all three of them. Mark was the first one written, and then Matthew expanded it to talk to a certain audience, and Luke expanded it, added things, and uh, edited it and changed the order a little bit, and some of those things. Um, and of course, John is a totally different gospel, but here is Mark who Paul had given up on. And now he, he's with Paul and he's useful for Paul. And when he's not there, Paul says, please send him back to me. Make sure that Mark gets to me. So that's a, that's a beautiful thing. Um, back to Colossians. By the way, if anybody has comments, some of you may have things to add or throw in as we go through here. This is, yeah, Rod. <coughs> Uh, no, I don't know where Barnabas is. He's not mentioned here. And I didn't research it, so I couldn't tell you. I would just be guessing. 
I didn't think about Barnabas. Oh yeah, there's going to be a restoration with Barnabas as well, I'm sure. Um, I've always looked at Barnabas as the one who is the, and that his name means son of encouragement. Um, yeah, we used to have a friend whenever her, her, her his, his wife would say something that wasn't just totally encouraging and she he would say, thanks Barnabas. You know, it was just funny because Barnabas means son of encouragement. Barnabas is the one who came along and encouraged Mark. But I don't know where Barnabas is at this point. Um, the next person we know nothing about, except that he has an amazing name, Jesus, who is called Justice. Um, Jesus, of course, is Savior. Uh, justice means righteous one. So he's the righteous one, the Savior. That's quite a name to live up to, and he's with uh, the Apostle Paul. And that's all we know about him, so I'm not going to say any more about him other than he was one who was a comfort to the Apostle Paul. Um, that takes us to verse 12. Epaphras. Now, there's a lot said about Epaphras. Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ Jesus, greets you, always struggling on your behalf in his prayers, that you may stand mature and firmly assured in all the will of God, for I bear him witness that he has worked hard for you and for those in Laodicea and in Hierapolis. Okay. Do we know who Epaphras is? That's the reason, danger of taking a long time of going through a book. Go back to Colossians chapter 1 and verse 7. And actually, you almost need to go back to verse 6. <coughs> it says, which has come to you, talking about the gospel, as indeed in the whole world is bearing fruit and growing, so it also does among you since the days you heard it and understood the grace of God and truth, just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant. He is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf and has made known to us your love in the spirit. He's the pastor of the church. This is Scott Artavanus. Um, what's he doing with Paul? Why is he with Paul and why isn't he coming home? Well, we don't know why he's not coming home, but we have a pretty good idea why he's there. He went because there was heresy in his church that he didn't know how to deal with. He saw what was happening in Colossians, this heresy that had slept in and that we have talked about so much. And so he went to the Apostle Paul and he said, what do I do about it? And Paul writes the letter of Colossians and sends it back. And my guess is that Paul is spending time teaching um, Epaphras to make sure that when he comes back, he is firmly grounded and can combat that heresy. This is extra seminary training. What is Epaphras doing while he's there? Praying. He's praying. He spends his whole time in prayer. Uh, Epaphras is the a perfect example of a pastor. When he's not with his people ministering, he's praying for his people. Um, his heart is for his people. Notice what it says. He says, um, Epaphras, who is one of you, 
a servant of Christ Jesus, greets you always struggling on your behalf in his prayers. And we're told what he's praying for, that you may stand mature and fully assured in all the will of God. He is praying for them that they would be mature and sure, assured in the will of God. Uh, he's praying for their maturity. Um, and when it says he's praying, it says, I, for I bear him witness that he has worked hard for you and for those in Laodicea and Hierapolis. Those three cities are very close to each other. They're within a 10 mile radius. It's kind of like Kingsburg, Dinuba, Selma. Um, they're close to each other. Actually, it's a little different. There's one above Colossae and then one below. Okay, but they're, they're in a, a, a line. They're kind of the tri-cities of that area. When it says that he struggles hard, that's the same word that will often be used to describe fighting. Um, when, when Paul um, talks about um, that we, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, that's the word that he's using. It's, we're fighting. Um, this is um, um, when Jesus prays in the garden and, and prays and there's drops of sweat. It's the same word. It's the idea that somebody is in pain. They are working so hard, praying so hard that it's actually painful to them. So this is a man who is pouring himself out for his people. And he is concerned for them doctrinally and he is praying for them that they're mature in Christ. It also encompasses great fear. So what I'm hearing you say is that he was deeply afraid that this church would fail or that would succumb to the teaching of the Gentiles. Yeah, whether afraid or, or concerned, maybe trusting God that God would, would protect and provide for them, but definitely one who was was um, had a deep concern for his people. I don't know if I would go to fear, perhaps. Um, anyways, a wonderful example of a pastor, one that every pastor should take to heart. This is what we're supposed to be doing for our people, is to be praying for them. <coughs> um, and I am interested, just the fact that what he's praying for is maturity and understanding the will of God. Uh, the doctrine that they subscribe to matters. It matters. Um, it's important to know the truth and to believe it and then allow that truth to be worked out. And it, it's, it was important for Paul to keep him there and to do more training. Um, we've got to finish up here. We have just a couple more. Um, Luke, the beloved physician, greets you, as does Demas. Uh, I'm not going to say much about Luke, but except for two things. I found this really fascinating. Um, if, if I ask you about Luke, tell, tell me some things about Luke. He's a doctor, right? What else? I, okay, I, that, that makes sense coming from you, Matt. Yes, he is definitely a historian. He, he, he keeps uh, great records. The book of Acts is written by him. What else? Okay, detailist. He does. He keeps incredible detail. Um, that's why the historian. He he wrote the Gospel of Luke. Um, a Jew or Gentile? He's Greek. He's Jewish. I mean, he's he's not Jewish. He is a, he's a Gentile. He is one of the Gentile writers of the New Testament. 
Um, the two things that, when, if you ask me, when I think of Luke, I think of a doctor and he's a Gentile, which is unusual. And we know both of those from this verse in Colossae. This is the only place where it's mentioned that Luke is a doctor. And he is the beloved physician. And he's with Paul and probably because Paul was sickly. Um, by the way, I, I tend to, it's just me, probably just me, but I tend to look back at doctors from 2,000 years ago as just being quacks, right? Because, I mean, how much could they know? But you know what? What was that, Mel? Well, or, or a thousand years ago or 500, you know, well, the ones who were cutting George Washington and the blood, you know, all of those things and um, where they were bloodletting and whatnot. But, but medicine is a, an art which is studied and changes over the years. And Luke wasn't a quack physician. He would have known medicines and he would have known herbs and he would have known um, things from his experience, from his practice that would have told him how to heal people. And... It was probably him who was told Paul to, um, well, Paul told actually that to somebody else, Timothy, take a little wine for his stomach, but maybe that was advice he had gotten from, from Luke. Um, but he is the beloved physician. He's probably there as Paul's personal physician, taking care of Paul. Uh, may have given up a lot to have done that. And he's Gentile, and we know that because he's one not mentioned among the three who are of the circumcision. So those two things we know about him from this verse. Um, the last one of this group that's mentioned, and we have one after that, and we have to finish this, is Demas. What do we know about Demas? Was that? Say it again. He, he loved the world. Uh, Demas, who was with Paul in Acts, um, he was there at, in Acts 20. He was with them on their journeys. Sadly, Paul has to report at the end of his life that Demas, who loved this present world, has left us. So that's in 2 Timothy chapter 4. And Timothy is a washout. Um, for whatever reason, he, the world gets a hold of him. Uh, so 2 Timothy chapter nine, um, chapter 4, verse 9 and 10 says, Do your best, talking to Timothy, to come to me soon. For Demas, in love with this present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. Um, now, maybe this is like Mark deserting him. Maybe God restores Demas. That doesn't necessarily mean that he has completely abandoned the faith, but he abandoned the Apostle Paul. So this Colossians is written uh, during the first imprisonment. This is the second imprisonment. Um, then there's a greetings to the brothers at Laodicea and to Nympha and the church in her house. Um, there may have been two house churches in Colossae or Nympha may have had a house church in one of the other cities. We don't know. But there was another one who had a house, the church in her house and she's greeted. And then lastly... Um, when this letter has been read among you, have it also read um, to the Laodiceans, read their letter. And then in verse 17, say to Archippus, see that you fulfill the ministry that you have received in the Lord. Uh, we don't know who Archippus is, but the sus suspicion is that it's Philemon's son. 
And that's because if you go to the book of Philemon, he's mentioned along with his, uh, those who have the church in their house. And the assumption is that it's Philemon's son. So if you go to Philemon, the very beginning, it says, um, Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus and Timothy, our beloved, our brother, to Philemon, our fellow beloved fellow working, and Aphia, our sister, and Archippus, our fellow soldier, and the church in your house. So the we aren't sure, but we believe he was had the church, he was the son of Philemon and very possibly being groomed by Paul to be a pastor. So he gives him the same charge he gives Timothy to guard the ministry that's been entrusted to you. And so Paul makes sure to greet him as well. And then Paul ends by writing with his own hand. We know that Paul had some sort of physical uh, uh, disability that kept him from being able to write. Um, Some people think it was something, I think it was his eyes that he just couldn't see well enough. So when he wrote, he had to get real close and write big letters. See how big the letters are that I write with my own hand, but it could have been something else. And Paul reminds them that he is in prison, but all of these men are with him. Um, that if, if, there's a, uh, if there's a point other than just the his, history of this, it's that um, we need to have people in our lives. You need to have people like this in your lives. God has given you a, um, Uh, people that are close to you, family, of course, but um, there should be people that we are pouring into and there should be people who are pouring into us. It's real easy for a person to say, I don't need these other people around me, but it's very, very obvious, isn't it, that Paul needed these people? They were an encouragement to him. At that one, especially that one, send Mark to me. I need him. I need him here right now. we tend to be the Lone Ranger. I tend to be Lone Ranger. I can take care of this on my own. Now we have a great group here at church, but there should be people that are, are pouring into you and that you are pouring into. And if not, then it probably affects your ministry. Um, I, I know with, um, with Pastor Scott, um, the network of people that he knows and that he meets with and who pour into his life is impressive. And I think it's valuable. It needs to be there. But it's not just for pastors. It's not just for the Apostle Paul. It's for us as well. Um, our life is enriched or impoverished by the people that we either have in our lives or that we don't have in our lives. Rod? We, we have the benefit now of Yeah. Yeah. We definitely have more resources, but um, I, I still think we need we, we need more than just the books that the person has read uh, has written. We we need the people in our lives as well. So, any other comments before we finish up this incredible book? I know we didn't talk at all about what the rest of Colossians says, but I think we covered it pretty thoroughly during the during the regular weeks. So. Okay, let's close in prayer.